Guy goes into into his doctor. Uh, he says, "Doc, you've got to help me. I'm really struggling." Uh, the doctor says, "Well, what seems to be the problem?" The guy says, "I'm addicted to Twitter," uh, and the doctor says, "I don't follow you." <laughs> <laughs> nice to laugh at that. You're very kind. I think that was just the that was just the delay. Oh yeah, over, okay. over the was. ocean. <laughs> this week we're talking to Matt Johns, whose company you create is well, really hard to describe. You might call it a hybrid, part agency, part accelerator, part incubator, all smashed up into one. It's a Frankenstein of startup functions, and so far a meaningful one. As of this year. Ucreate has helped build 25 companies, which have a total valuation of $130 million. Matt and his team partner with experienced but non-technical founders, like a VP of sales, people who understand their specific industry inside and out and know what innovation in that space should look like, even if they can't sort it out in zeros and ones. That's where Ucreate comes in. At a time when the whole world is being forced to make the leap online, I was excited to hear from Matt about how he thinks it's going. Oh, and he's British, in case you couldn't tell from the joke. So all the way from London, talking with us pretty late at night, here's Matt. So, Matt, the name of your agency is You Create. So it's a really interesting firm. Uh, you've been in business for five years. You have over 130 people. You've worked with dozens of businesses. But basically what you do is you're an agency that helps start startups. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about you create. Yeah, absolutely. So the, f- the first thing is we try not to describe ourselves as an agency because we we don't think that does us justice for what we actually do for the founders that we work with. So, yep. But if, you, if you're going to break it down, we're, we're a little bit like an agency, a little bit like an incubator, a little bit like an accelerator. We take the best bits. We think the best bits from all of those. Look, and there's, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat when you're building a startup. So it's not like any one way is right. We are just one of one of one of many ways. So at the heart of what we do, we work with non-tech founders. So founders that can't code, we we go in as as partners with them on a part cash, part equity model. We help them build their business out. At the core of what we do is 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 tech and product. So we're building apps, we're building software. But then we also help them with what we call support services. So raising money for them, go-to-market strategies, commercial strategy. You know, I think it's really important as a startup founder, when you're building your business, that your tech partner is aligned with you. So by, by having that small slice of equity, that means that we don't just care about the short term, we care about the long term as well. So yeah, and that's awesome. Well, so tell us a little bit more about the founding story. How did you start you create? Oh, uh, well, so so I right back when I dropped out of university when I was like 19. So my family had a, had a, had a small music business selling musical instruments to a shop and also to councils around around the UK and obviously I grew up with that sort of business I guess mentality in my family my dad unfortunately died when I was 16 and I sort of basically took over the business when I was about 18 which was a bit which was a bit mental you know it was a bit crazy I was sort of stuck in there at the deep end made a load of mistakes literally so many mistakes but the big thing that I did there was take it from an offline business, you know, more of a shop to an online business. Uh, so I had to build, I changed the name. I built out the website, all the back end systems. We ended up with quite a few staff and a big warehouse and, you know, learned a lot of stuff. So then when I managed to get out of that industry, cause it wasn't a great industry to be in. It was really archaic. Wasn't a lot of money in it. Um, and when I managed to get out of that industry, sort of thinking, what am I going to do next? I sort of thought, well, I've learned a lot 
over these past few years on how to build products, especially from uh, an offline to online basis. And people were coming to me and saying, look, how did you do it? You know, can you help me? So that's just sort of how Ucreate was born. People were coming to me and saying, I've got this great idea. What, what the hell do you do next? And what I saw around my network was lots of people who made the wrong decision. They either got buddied up with a CTO that they didn't know, a co-founding CTO, and quickly discovered that the CTO actually can't do everything that they need them to do. They either went to an agency uh, who didn't take equity, and the agency just wants to make as much money as possible, uh, whereas the founder wants to build something great. They didn't want to be on accelerators because it was not a good fit for them. So kind of this model just sort of came out of there, and I was able to harness the sort of skills that I learned building out this this online music business for, for other founders. And tell me, what, what was it like when you started? How many of you were there? What were some of the challenges you faced? Oh, it, it was really tough. <laughs> it was really tough. The, 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 the first couple of years were really, really tough. My co-founders are a guy called Vishal over in India. And it was having those boots on the ground originally, which allowed us to have devs on the ground, which allowed us to build stuff at a decent rate. That was absolutely key. Uh, and then in the UK, um, a guy called Dan Christie and a guy called Pavel, who, who, who came in, you know, employees number one and two literally a few months after we started the hardest thing was 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 getting people to to go ahead of a project when you don't have any you don't have any case studies you don't have any real expertise and and frankly you're sort of making it up as you go along and tell me what what was that first project so it was a a company i mean ironically it's a company that's now it's now doing really well we've we're hoping it's going to be one of our first exits the company now uh, called iplace and Pete Goodman, the founder of that, he sits on our board. Frankly, if he wasn't someone I knew, I don't think he'd have given us the project. So I don't think the the business would have got off to the start it got off to without having someone like that who trusted us to go ahead and and start building out, you know, his business. Okay, so you get the first business, and wh- where do things go from there? How do you well, overcome you, some of these first challenges? You just spend you just spend you just spend the next two years wondering where the hell's the next one going to come from? Where know? did it come from? Oh, just networking, referrals, networking. Our only plan really was that we wanted to focus on non-tech founders, so founders that couldn't code. And then we wanted to be very specific with the type of non-tech founders. They needed to either be domain experts, they needed to know their industry inside out, or they needed to be experienced entrepreneurs so that they could, you know, they might have started businesses before, sold businesses before, but maybe not necessarily tech businesses. So that was really our only our only plan there. And then it was just about networking. It was about just meeting as many different people as possible, trying to do the best possible job we could do on the ones that we had already. Um, and we had some really hairy moments. We almost ran out of cash numerous times, you know, days away from running out of money at the start. Tell us about one of those stories. How did you get through it? You know, literally things like asking certain of our early founders to pay a couple of months up front. You know, look, can you help us out? We're helping you out. Can you help us out? You know, winning projects and ask, asking them to pay 50% upfront, literally as, as tight as that, you know, we weren't taking very much money at all out of the business. We were, we were just surviving on what we can. I think even though we don't describe ourselves as an agency, all the operations, all the go to market, every, everything is, you know, a classic agency business, you know, it's like any story. I think any, any agency owner would say it's, it's things come out of nowhere at the last minute, you know, like a project just comes out of nowhere. So I think, you know, people can say that there's amazing plan, there's amazing process, but at that start, when you just sort of, you know, hustling for a better word and just trying to just get wherever you can in and those early stages, it's just sometimes a bit of luck, but, but working really hard as well and doing a really, really good job and being transparent with your clients and, you know, being honest and saying, look, you know, this isn't great right now. This is what we need. Can you help us? And, and, you know, usually they would, but 
I'm really glad to say that, you know, after the first 18 months to two years, we, we really sort of worked out what we were doing. You know, we, we raised some money, we had some, we had, we had better processes in place and, and it just yeah, started. Tell, tell us about that. Tell us about how the, what the business model is today and how, and how it's really evolved and changed over time to, to a place where, you know, now you have 130 people and it's working. To be honest with you, the the model hasn't changed from from absolute day day one. We've got we've just got better. We've got more professional. We've brought on much better people. We've just learned really really quickly. We've seen where things go wrong, and we've and we've, we've identified those. But the actual model, in what I said uh, just earlier about focusing on domain experts, experienced entrepreneurs, non tech founders, that's that's the same now as it has been. You know, we've really made sure that we've got a niche and we've targeted a subset of of, of people and pitched all our services and everything we do around that um so really it's just about i know it's a bit of a rubbish answer but it's just getting better as you go and just and just learning really quickly and then obviously bringing on amazing people you know the the the, the skill sets that we've got now internally and the the people we've got on board are really really high-end people that have done the exact things that we need them to do before in their career hey do you like our show i do too If you want to support the startup stack, the best way to do that is by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Also, send dad jokes, or if you have them, actual good jokes, to podcast at rocketplace.com. Feel free to send us feedback there too. Let's dive into some of the services you do offer, and maybe you could talk about some of of the work you've done with different companies that you're excited and proud about. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... The thing that really separates us from an agency, yes, number one, we take we take equity, but we also help founders with not just the tech and the product. We help them with the commercial strategy. We help them with investment services. You know, we're helping them raise money. We're helping them build out their funding strategy. We're helping them with go to market. And I think it's just wrapping our services around what they need. So I guess a big difference between us and Accelerator as well is whilst you know, whilst we're partners with the founders we work with, ultimately we work for them. You know, it's very, very important for us that the founders who work with us, they're in control. You know, they are the founders, you know, it's their vision. We support them, we guide them, but we work for them. And I, I think that's a dynamic you don't get in accelerators. So a lot of the type of founders we want to work with, they wouldn't appreciate being on an accelerator. And I think, you know, the exception is 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 the really, really great ones like Ycom and stuff like that. I think any anyone would want to be on that. But especially over here, they, they want to maintain more control. So as part of that, we feel by by not investing, that that keeps that relationship solid. Uh, if I'm going to talk about a couple of examples, there's a, you know, I said before about domain expertise, you know, the, uh, and non-tech founders. I think I think a perfect example for that is a, is, is a founder, one of uh, the founders that we work with, a guy called James Ward. He is, you know, so he when he came to us, he was... Head of head of sales or head of a sales division at a big company called called Xerox, and the reason why we've targeted non tech founders is because I think that they spot problems in their industries really really clearly. So he was an expert in his field in sales at Xerox. He'd spotted this problem that he that he realised could be solved through tech. And sometimes when you're non tech, you just absolutely dumb it down. You go, well, tech must be able to solve this. So there's a company called Client Share. They're, they're, they're raising significant money at the moment. Been working with, with, with James for the last four years. Really proud of that business, proud of what we're doing. And that's been, that's been a real success. Um, what, what, what was the problem that he identified? 
Well, he he just could see that account management was broken in his industry. So he he could see that the relationships between account managers and clients, there was no tool to serve that. It was all done on email or, or offline. And there's a running theme for the type of businesses that we build that a lot of them, because they're non-tech, they come from you know, solutions that are currently done either via email or offline on pens and, you know, pad and paper. And what we do is we just, we just digitize the process and turn it online. Maybe we could move to advice you'd give to other entrepreneurs. So you probably, you probably meet people all the time, non-tech founders, maybe also technical founders. And, you know, certainly, certainly I do in my job, you know, they come to you and, and they ask for advice about starting a business. And maybe they're thinking about working with a agency like yours or outsourcing the tech. You know, you have a very unique agency, right? Incubator slash accelerator slash agency. Um, but what should that entrepreneur, what are the questions that they should be asking when they're evaluating working with a partner like yourself? For me, it all comes down to personality fit. I just think... I just think that's the number one, you know, by looking at case studies and how long they've been in the, in the market and talking to some of their clients or their customers, you know whether they can technically do it or not. But it's all down to personality fear. If you're going to build a business with someone, you need to get on with them because, you know, something I've learned a lot in the last five years, well, more, more than that with a previous business as well, is software development never goes to plan, like ever. And when you're a non-tech founder, you need to understand that and you need to trust your your partner, whoever's whoever's doing it, whether it's an agency, whether it's a founding team, whatever. And you need to be completely aligned. I would say that there's that, and then it's also really important is actually how you go about choosing the business you're going to build and how you build it. And you have to make sure, and the agency should help you with this, obviously, but you have to make sure that the problem you're solving actually exists. And it's 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 obviously a bit of a cliche probably at the moment, but so many founders they get hung up with these solutions in their head and they've already come up with the solution before they've even really identified whether the problem even exists in the market so you have to do the work in validating does the problem exist and then don't jump to the first solution you know don't just immediately think oh that's a SaaS product that's a marketplace that's a whatever you know do the work to actually test and validate is the solution that you're, you're, you're thinking the right solution. And, and, and these days you can build things so quickly and cheaply just to test and, and just to see, I think solving that one problem and then linked to that is, is making sure that you're doing one problem and you don't build too many features. The, the, we're doing this a long time now. And the, the single biggest problem I, I find is that founders in their head, they want to build as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And it's sometimes the problem with a, founder agency relationship they go well i'm paying you i need to get as much as i possibly can for my money and that is the single biggest mistake that you can make because feature blow doesn't help anybody so not looking at your agency partner as let me just get as much as i possibly can from them but looking at them and going let me build a successful business with them i think that is is absolutely key something else is just because it's the tech business it's still a business. It still needs to make money. And I think the sort of impression given from, you know, Silicon Valley and stuff like that is go and raise loads and loads of money and burn through loads of money and get more rounds. Hey, I've got another round. I've got another investment round. I've got another investment round. It's like, you know, that works to a degree. And, and, and for some things that might be right. 
But what we believe is much more around building sustainable businesses. And for me, it's get to get to revenue as quickly as you possibly can. You know, you need to sell and the founder needs to be selling. And if you can sell within four, five, six months of, of, of starting to build and actually get some customers on board, I think that's absolutely key. So don't raise too much money, try and make it sustainable and try and build a proper, a proper business. When you're, you must meet these founders all the time, they, they're pitching you on all sorts of various ideas in, in all sorts of various industries. How do you evaluate? What are the questions that you're asking in order for, for you create to decide that this is a client you want to work with? So, so we are completely industry agnostic. We do not, uh, we wouldn't say no. I mean, obviously, unless it was unethical, we wouldn't say no to to an industry. So we we very much back the jockey, not the horse. That's that's something that that's another thing that we've we've said literally from day one that we've kept to. So, of course, we think the services that we provide and uh, and and all the, the the people that we've got in the company, we think it's a it's a big reason why a lot of our startups are doing well. Uh, you know, the the, the, the industry standing ninety percent of startups fail, which I don't know how true that is anymore, but I think it's I think it's pretty true. Whereas ninety percent of our startups are still going, um, and I think obviously that's partly due to us but i think it's 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 more than anything it's down to the founder you know so we're very selective of the type of founder you know the things i said before domain expert blah blah, blah but also they need to have grit they need to have determination you know they can't they just can't give up quickly so i think that's absolutely key and but so not only do you not care about industries but how do you evaluate the the ideas the business models so of the founders when we when we start working with them in an absolutely ideal world, they'll come to us and say, look, I think this problem needs solving, or I want to build something in this industry. And then we start doing discovery work with them. So with one of our product managers, they'll they'll pair up with the founder and just be having workshops, be doing validation se- sessions, talking to potential customers, building out prototypes, really challenging the founder and making sure that their bias, you know, is doesn't mean that they end up building something that nobody wants that's our job our job is to make sure that we don't build something that nobody wants or 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 it's solving a problem that doesn't actually exist so whilst we we're not industry agnostic our process should weed out whether the problem exists and then what what's the right solution to build i'd love to talk a little bit more about what you're seeing in the industry you know you're working with dozens of clients 20 2020 was a crazy year covid19 remote work political upheaval, all sorts of stuff are, you know, what, um, what are you seeing from your vantage point? What are, are some of the biggest trends that you guys are working towards right now? Uh, Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think there is this inexorable rise of technology. You know, this is, this is not going away. And what you're seeing is you're seeing, if you're not a a tech company, you're going to die over the next 10 years. So digital transformation has been in big companies has been going on for years and years and years. And everyone knows that. But I think at this sort of sub 10 million pound turnover company, there's huge opportunities for them, you know, because all of the customer habits that used to be have completely changed. You know, things that customers used to do offline, they're now happy to do online all because of COVID, you know, so they've been forced to do it. And that's that's not going away. So whilst it's been a terrible and, you know, truly awful for for many businesses they've now got this opportunity where they can take their offline models and digitize them you know cheaper than ever before eat more you know more easily than ever before um so i think that is a massive trend is that sort of smaller 
smaller company digitizing their offering and pivoting to a true tech company, unlocking value in their business models, making them more sustainable, having much higher exits, higher multiples, and and having a bit of an easier life. Well, not an easier life, but a, it's a it's, it's a different life being a being a tech founder rather than being an offline business founder. So. I think that for me is is the biggest trend that I'm seeing. And, you know, it might sound like an obvious one, but I think at that smaller scale, that's where the opportunities are because it's going to be the tech companies that are going to create these new jobs that are, that are needed, for, you know, to create taxes, to create jobs, to get us out of this, you know, economic mess that, you know, that we're going to be in for a few for a few months. And, and today, I assume your team is distributed. Were you distributed before uh, this year? Yeah, we were. So uh, we've always, right from the off, we've always had an office in India. So we're very used to working, very used to working remotely. And we actually went fully remote about a month before the first UK lockdown because we could see what was happening. We felt it was the right thing to do. So look, it's not been easy. And I would much rather, we managed to have an away day back in September with some of the UK, most of the UK team. And that was brilliant. Uh, And there's definitely big challenges with doing it completely remote like we are. Um, And I know there's loads of companies that have done fantastic things like Basecamp, you know, Signal 37, you know, how they've built their entire business remotely. But I don't think that's how we're going to want to do it. We we like having some face-to-face time and, and building relationships and, you know, and, and, and probably having a bit of a hybrid. Is there a piece of tactical advice that you think entrepreneurs out there, maybe non-tech founders that you're primarily working with, a piece of tactical advice you think they should know for 2021? So, it's re- repeating something I said before, but I honestly, I honestly think that getting to revenue as quickly as possible is some of the most underrated advice that's out there. Spending, you know, months and months and months building a product, waiting for this perfect, perfect product to come out of it, and you know, it happens a lot with non-tech founders because non-tech founders they they obviously don't intrinsically understand lines of code, but what they do understand is what something looks like. You know, there's, 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 there's a great bit of advice. I can't, I can't remember who it's from. It's like, you know, if you if you're not embarrassed if you're not embarrassed by by your product, then you've launched too late. I think it's Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman. And the and the advice about getting to revenue is very similar advice to advice that uh, we give at Y Combinator all the time, which is just you know, let's get to revenue ASAP. Do everything you can. That's when it really starts. And and, and I've you know we we, we see, see it all the time because you know the found like I say the founders they they understand what things look like so and it's their personal reputation on the line you know they've told their family they've told their friends they've told their colleagues I'm building this business and when they want to send it to them they want to send them a great looking product but that's not necessarily the right thing to do because you you've burnt through thousands more pounds building something that you haven't proven is going to work yet so yeah get to market as quickly as possible and get to revenue as quickly as possible I think that's that's just massively underrated advice. I mean, in your neck of the woods, I know Brexit was a has been a really big thing in, in Europe over the last several years. Has that changed how you either uh, build your company, build other companies, address client needs? Honestly, no. I think it's however you voted. There's massive opportunities now, and as business owners and as entrepreneurs, you have to look at the opportunities, and you have to you have to you have to find the you know the best way of moving forwards and in terms of technology and building technology businesses it it 
it shouldn't make a difference. As a country, we're, we're still very open to immigration, and I hope that we'll continue to do that. Um, and I'm sure we will, because the vast majority of this country massively are pro-immigration. So the kind of ideas that you're getting pitched, has have those changed at all over the last year or two? No, no, they really haven't. We're seeing We're seeing exactly the same things from when we started, which is people spotting opportunities in their offline expertise and wanting to and wanting to turn them into tech businesses. So I think there's there's going to be opportunities that are going to come up and I think that the gumption of entrepreneurs will will, will get through anything that that something like Brexit can 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 throw at you. And you've got to remember the UK is, you know, it's it's been it's massive in fintech because it's got uh, you know a th- thousand year old financial system. You know, these these are things that have been in place for for much much longer than than forty years of the EU. Are there any industries that are that are kind of moving online today that you're surprised about, or that have been more? Re- you know, you talked about fintech a second ago. You know, over the last decade, there's been a huge resurgence of the, you know the digital transformation of financial services. Um, but what are what are some of the things you're seeing today that I think are just that are just beginning? I think people turning any business model into a marketplace is something that that I seem to be seeing a lot of. So we've had people come to us who own recruitment companies and they are doubling down in that particular niche of their recruitment company and turning that into a marketplace. So basically the marketplace of anything is something that I've seen quite a lot, you know, so there's there's you're seeing a lot of these sort of niche versions of Upwork coming out in these 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 sort of verticals. So that's that's something that I've seen. So you actually mentioned before about have the, have, have the the ideas changed. I've seen more of that. I've seen much more people come to us and say, hey, I'm in this industry and I connect in my business. I connect these people and these people. And I've just worked out that I could go and build a marketplace that's going to do that at much bigger scale without me having to do it. And that's 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 a trend that I've massively seen. I can see that growing. You know, Rocketplace is a marketplace. So I yeah, totally, exactly. get, I, I totally exactly. get that. Is there one thing that you wish you would have known when you started Ucreate that you now know today? I knew it was going to be really hard because I had already had that previous business experience, so which was really, really hard. So I made loads of mistakes in that first business. I'm really glad to say I've made much less mistakes in the second one. Um, so I learned loads. You know, make sure you you something from the first first time around. I just didn't hire a strong enough team. You know, I just didn't have the right people around me. And I know my weaknesses. I know what I'm not good at. Uh, and I learned those first time round. And plugging as a as a as a founder, you need to have a lack of ego so that you, you can't do everything and you need to be aware of where your strengths and weaknesses are. And I see founders that want to do it all that don't listen to people. And I, I really have never, I've just made sure that we brought the right people on at the right stages and let them get on with it. So it's more what I learned from the first time around rather than what I've learned from this one. But I knew it was going to be hard because of the first time around. So I've not been surprised by the by that, and I'm and really enjoying it so far, and you know, love the ride. But tell me, what does the next year or two have in store for you? Create we we want to take our model outside of London. Probably to start with, it will be UK, but we'd love to come to the states. You know, because what's incredible about the states is that you've got, you know, you have one state that will be like an economy in its own right. I just find that so interesting, you know, that you can have Texas or Atlanta or whatever, and you, know, you look at the numbers and there's like tens of thousands of startups being created that, you know, are almost the size of the whole of the UK in terms of the, the numbers. So really, really looking to take our model further afield. We're really interested in Australia as well. So that's going to be a big a big part of what we're going to do. But, you know, we've built 20, you know, just over 20 portfolio companies so far and, 
you know, we want to do many, many more. You know, we, we want to do hundreds over the over the coming years, you know, and, and, and really scaling the model. Awesome. Well, Matt, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you for joining us on the Startup Stack, telling us more about your business. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.